I would love to see it personally. <laughs> You're listening to the Snob OS podcast, the podcast for Apple snobs. This is Nika Monford, a.k.a. Tech Savvy Diva. Yo, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech. And welcome to the Snobowest Show, the show for Apple snobs where we talk all things Apple and then some. We definitely want to thank all of our supporters for listening to our show, whether you are a Patreon supporter who is a financial supporter, or if you are a supporter by listening and sharing and rating and reviewing our show, we thank you and we appreciate you. If you want some exclusive content and some other perks, head on over to patreon.com slash snobblewestcast to get in on some of those features and to sign up for that. Um, it gives you access to the live show and other exclusive content. So with that, let's go ahead and kick off this week's show. We're going to start with the lowdown where we talk all things Apple. Going to kick it off with the latest and greatest in developer betas. Apple has seeded its third developer beta for iOS 15.5, iPadOS 15.5, watchOS 8.6, and tvOS 15.5. Like I said, this is the third <laughs> update uh, or the third beta release for the I, for iOS 15. Um, so, uh, it's a lot and we, we know that they usually, when they do these seedings, they do it for pretty much all of, of the platform. So if you are, um, a developer and have a developer, an Apple developer account, you can head on over to the Apple developer center and get in, um, get in on the beta where you can do the updates and test out the betas before they are released to the public. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything that is astoundingly that stands out on these builds. Um, definitely you have to kind of download to check it out to see what it's all about. But I think this just gets us one step closer to the latest iOS that we're likely to see um, either um, being announced, probably not available, um, during WWDC in June. Um, but I think the major changes, if there are any, um, will be, um, kept tight under wraps until WWDC. So that's probably where we'll at least get the first look, whether it'll be available then probably not, but I think it will give the folks who are Apple developers a chance to try and start to play with the new OS builds for each of of these products. Yeah, it doesn't say anything about what's going on with 15.5. Um, end users probably won't care, um, but developers, it seems like, like you mentioned, they're trying to tighten things up before the announcement of the next iOS would be, which would be iOS 16. 16, yep. So if you are one of those folks, uh, send us a note. Let us know uh, anything that might be of interest to you, to us. I never, even though I have access, I never put the betas on mine because I'm like, 
I don't really care like that. <laughs> um, but there are some people who wait with bated breath to get those betas and start to, to, to play around with them and see the compatibility or lack thereof with their apps that they are either currently building or have in the app store already. Next up, Apple self-service repair is now available. When this was first announced, it was a huge departure from Apple's typical um, handling of getting your devices repaired. So now that the self-service uh, repair store is launched, it says today, and today being August 27th, is now live. Um, and it allows iPhone customers in the U.S., to access parts and manuals if they want to repair their own devices. Now, key caveats to this self-service repair store. It only allows repairs for iPhone SE, iPhone 12, and iPhone 13 components. This includes display, battery, and camera replacements. So if you have anything outside of those three phone devices, then this is not going to be for you. Um, additionally, the Mac self-service, meaning laptops, computers, that is slated to come later this year. But if you are one of those folks who want to be able to repair your own devices, this gives you the opportunity to do that. One of the things that the article indicates that we're reading from 9to5Mac is that the pricing isn't much different from actually taking the your devices into the store but the trade-off is you don't have to go to an apple store you don't have to leave your device you don't have to wait for it to get repaired you can do it at home anytime you want but again there is a trade-off to that do you want to pay for convenience i know i do um but for those people who are heavy into breaking down you know devices and doing hardware type repair this might be you know it for you. Um, given an example, iPhone 13 Pro Display, they they sell a bundle, and the bundle is what 269. There's also a bundle for battery replacements for 71. dollars So it's the things where if you have a particular thing that is broken or needs repair, they will sell you a bundle in addition to renting you all the tools so you don't have to necessarily purchase them outright if you don't want to, but you can rent tools for the week for about just under $50. So as brother tech, Mr. You know, iPhone, Apple, fix repair. What are your thoughts on the self-service repair store? Um, I can definitely see it as a benefit uh, in addition to the things that you mentioned. Uh, you know you are getting good parts from Apple, uh, screens, batteries, whatever the case may be, whatever parts you need, as opposed to taking it to like a third party, you know, mom and pop shop or chain um, cell phone repair company. Uh, who knows where they get their parts from? If you order them directly from Apple, uh, they're going to give you uh, quality parts. Uh, Apple has also um, announced repair manuals that are published for free. So you can get the instructions on how to repair your products directly from Apple versus searching on Amazon, searching on YouTube. I know a lot of people go on YouTube to try to find tutorials 
um, you, you know, 50, 50, if, and that's being generous on whether or not you're going to find a website that actually, or a YouTube video that actually goes step by step versus you can rest assured that Apple is going to have more detailed instructions that are specific to their own products, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that's all the good stuff. The negative is, I've said this before, be careful what you wish for. I think a lot of people have been pushing this right to repair, you know, uh, forcing Apple's hand at making it more available or making it more feasible to repair your own products because uh, ultimately you can save some money and you don't feel like you're at the mercy of Apple, right? If you buy an Apple and iPhone, you want to feel like it's your product and you should want want, you should be able to do whatever you want to do. And Apple should make it as easy as possible for you to do whatever you want to do with your products. But again, be careful for what you wish for, because again, me being a person that has repaired phones, repaired electronics, it is not easy at all to repair an iPhone. Now, I don't know if this is just because the parts are small, you know, the, the phones, we want them, we want the phones to be small. We want them to be sleek. We want them to be tiny and all these things that comes at a cost. The parts are small, the pieces are small, and, and they have to compact all that stuff together. So taking the device apart and then trying to put it back together is not a easy task, specifically with iPhones, right? So uh, it, you're an average Joe, quote unquote, non-tech savvy, non-hardware savvy person, you could decide, I want to change the battery in my iPhone 12. You, you buy the parts from Apple. You go to the instructions page and download the manual and about 45 minutes in, you may decide this is too much. And then what this are you going to do? This is not for me. Now, what are you going to do? Now you're sitting yeah. here with a desk full of a bunch of pieces. You don't remember what went where, in what order, what screw, these and that. And, and now you are responsible. The benefit of letting Apple doing it or the benefit of letting anybody do it is that responsibility because mm-hmm. it's if you give it to somebody, Apple or a authorized third-party reseller or old boy in the middle of the mall, <laughs> they are responsible for fixing your device. And if they don't fix it to your liking, they are responsible. If you decide on a Saturday afternoon to take your iPhone apart to replace the screen or replace the battery and you lose a piece or the piece that you bought broke because that's very likely and this happened to me before you are responsible you know Mm -hmm. so you have to be careful Um, while this is a good idea I would definitely say this is not for the faint of heart so you really want to make sure that this is something you want to do before you open up a $500, $1,000 device because you feel like I should it's have- It's easy. Anybody can do it. <laughs> or I, I bought it, so I should want to do whatever I want to do with it, right? Be careful. Mm-hmm. Be very, very careful. 
Yep. And for our industrious and entrepreneurial listeners um, who think you want to be able to flip this into a little bit of, of your own business, I don't think that is the intention behind this. And I don't think Apple is going to make that easy for you. So, well, it won't be, it, it may be easy, but it ain't gonna be profitable because for you to turn a profit, you would have to charge like, let's just say, uh, like they said on the, on the, the, um, story that we're referencing, uh, an iPhone screen costs $279 for you as a business owner to be like, Hey, let me do this for you. You would have to charge like $350 to do yeah. this for an iPhone 12 or an iPhone 13. I think they mentioned an iPhone 13. So we'll just, yeah, use they that. Did. you'd have to charge $350 to make it profitable and to make it worth your time. Cause this takes like an hour at the very least. Right. And Plus it's also uh, interesting to note that further down in the article, there in, are instructions for if you decide to use this. So first you as a customer or you as the would be entrepreneurial of this repair service, you would have to read the repair manual for the product that you want. And then you would have to indicate that you read the manual on the self-service website and order the necessary parts. And each of the parts are tied to the IMEI number of the device that you are intending to repair. Right. So you can't just go and, you know, say, Buy let me order six, you know, iPhone 13 screens, five iPhone 12 batteries. That is not going to work. You're going to actually have to have the device with the number before, before you, you can order even parts. order it. Right. And you can still do that. And even if that's the case, I mean, like if people just trusted me, brother tech, and said, hey, I know this is your thing. I know you're interested in it. I'll pay you $350, however much, to send it to you, right? Um, mm -hmm. Again, it has to, it, 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 me making a business of that would be tough because the whole point of doing this is to buy in bulk, like you mentioned, and get the parts for cheaper. So if I go to Apple, let's just say argumentative, and I say, hey, you know, I want to buy five of these screens at $279, even if that was feasible, like Nika mentioned, you can't even do it because the, the parts are tied to the IMEI. You know, I'm going to Apple and saying, hey, I'm buying 10 of these things. I want a discount. So instead of you charging me $279, why don't you charge me $240? And then I can go to Nika or I can go to anybody and say, hey, if you trust me, you don't want to deal with Apple. You know, you want to help a brother out, you know, support a black owned business, whatever the case may be, you know, <laughs> charge me $350 to fix that. You know, um, again, you can't do it. And two, even if you tried, you know, that is extra effort on my part because I have to order the part that's specific to your device, you yeah. know, so uh, a business and person. It's just, and, and then it's not that much more to just take it to an Apple store where you know for sure for sure that it's going to be done right and it's going to be done quickly. Right, you know, so yeah. uh, like I said, this is a good idea um, and even more so than a good idea, I think this quells the people who were upset at Apple and, pro and um, pushing the right to repair because Apple says, look, now you have, I've given you all the tools, I've given you this all the resources. This is what you wanted. 
you know, now the other part is now you got to actually do it. And I think when right. most of those right to repair people actually do it, they're like, mm, this ain't all that it was cracked up to be. <laughs> and I'm interested to know. So say you decide to do this and you crack open your phone and you start the work and you're like, I can't do this. Can you still take it to the Apple store for them to fix it? I guarantee they'll be like, I would no. say no. Because, because they because they asked you if you read the manual before you proceeded to even order anything, and you said yes. You and said that, that you read this and you can do this. And that goes with anything. If I decide I want to fix my lawnmower and I take it apart, and then I say, forget this, I'm gonna take it to a lawn service dude and say, Here, fix my lawnmower. And I'm like, well, what is this? And then I put it together and I do fix it. And then I give it to you and something goes wrong. Do you try to blame me? You try to blame me. And I, you know, I can't guarantee I, as a repair person, can't guarantee Continue that I'm going to work. get it in running condition when I wasn't handed it. It wasn't handed yeah. to me in this shape. I mean, in this situation. Yeah. Right. So right. there's whole le legality and responsibility yeah. and things of that nature, you know. So, so basically, yeah. <laughs> if you decide to do this and you crack open your phone, just know you volunteered a tribute. You out there on your own by yourself and you're either got to figure it out or just buy a whole new device. If you get yourself into the situation where you out there. But on, on the, the flip side, um, this is a good challenge, a very good challenge. And who knows, you may, you know, uh, fix your phone and, you know, there's nothing like that satisfaction of you doing it yourself. Yeah. You know, that may embolden you to get more into technology, get in more into mm -hmm. hardware, you know, take other challenges that you normally wouldn't. Because this is definitely, take my, take my word for it, fixing an iPhone is definitely a challenge. <laughs> So if anybody decides to take this on, we would love to hear your experience with the self-service repair store. So if you I'm do, not going to do it and I'm you do read the manual, <laughs> forget that. <laughs> if you do decide to enter into the vortex and, and, and do this repair yourself, we would love to hear what your experience is, whether you're successful and you're like, I am He-Man, he hear me roar, or whether you're like, you know what, dog? I got in here and it was not what I thought it was going to be. We would love to hear either perspective because I think it is an interesting concept, especially after all of the, I won't say hate, but after all of the bombardment that Apple had got, has gotten from fans of Apple and detractors of, of Apple saying, why don't you let people fix their own devices because they pay for it. It's theirs. So I would, I, you know, once we're maybe six months into this uh, self-service repair, I would love to see, you know, what the discourse is, how it's changed over, you know, that period of time for folks. So it'll be interesting to see, I think. Last up in the lowdown, um, patents. Patents, patents, patents. Apple has added a pair of mixed reality headset patents to their portfolio. Um, as you know, we talked about the whole AR, VR, um, Apple glasses um, that has been rumored 
to be launched by Apple possibly this year. My prediction was this year. Um, it looks like, um, according to patently Apple, um, they got some new trademarks and one trademark, I mean, not trademark patent, one patent covers the head mounted device base plate, which uses infrared one-way mirror finish. Uh, the patent indicates that it's like headwear similar to sunglasses or ski goggles. Think Oculus. Um, and it uses protective coating that makes it look like a one-way mirror. This way a user can wear one of them and you won't be able to see their eyes. So that is the first patent. The second patent covers the charging of this goggle headset um, deal. I think they're calling it HMD. Um, so this would include um, a display unit, um, a power storage uh, device, and receiving coils. And the receiving coils of this kind of package would be for charging the headsets. So, um, you know, the Apple glasses, Apple headset, whatever you want to call it, has been rumored for quite a while. Um, whether we'll see the headsets, I think we will. I hope we see them this year because that was on my predictions and I would love to be right about that. <laughs> it looks like Apple is really making some headway into bringing this type of tech to the forefront any thoughts um probably the uh details not necessarily the whole ideal um i think what they're doing i don't know how oculus or meta uh uh headsets charge i don't know if you have to plug them in i don't know if they have you have to like plug them in with the USB C. okay um, i have a set and the charge is horrible right you use it one so, evening so, and it's done right so it looks like Apple is trying to step that up a notch and the receiving coil sounds like wireless charging. You'll be able to place them in a, a specially made dock or be able to place them on a surface and do wireless charging. So again, you know, Nikki, you mentioned- Air power the, mats back. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Apple is trying to be the forefront when it comes to uh, charging devices. So they're trying to do this with the uh, their head mounted device. I think that's what they call HMD. But other than yeah. that, it's just Apple. Sounds like them protecting or uh, future proofing their IP. If they do go forward and actually make an AR slash VR headset, um, I could see Apple doing it. Um, again, I don't think it'll be anytime soon. Uh, simply because there's not enough use case uh, out there right now. You can exercise, you can play games, you can watch movies. But other than that, there nobody, the mass, the demand is not so much so to where Apple is like, all right, y'all got to get in the game. Just how are we going to make it better? Right. I don't think that's the case for uh, overall uh, virtual reality or augmented reality headsets. So it sounds like Apple, whenever they do decide, all right, we'll make one, they'll already have the patents in place to where they're not worried about running up against patent trolls when they actually mm -hmm. do release something. So I'll have to say, I really do like uh, the Quest headsets. Um, the games and stuff are really fun. I would love to see the Apple tech and the Apple environment implementation 
of these headsets because again, you know, while I like the Oculus and it it is, you know, entertaining or whatever, um, there are some things I would definitely change and there are definitely some things where I could see the way Apple does things would be, you know, a pretty big improvement over over the way, you know, it's done now. And I see it as one of those things where because even though Meta is huge, everybody knows it, there's nothing like people wanting to get into gaming with Apple. We've seen it with Apple Arcade. We've seen it with, you know, I think when the Mac Studio came out, there were some game developers that were using the the studio to actually build out their gaming systems. So to kind of have, you know, this all-encompassing environment where you could do the development on Apple devices and actually have your product on them as well. I think the amount of games and the basic, you know, the virtual world that you're in, I think it will be, you know, on par with the way Apple does most things. And um, I I would love to see it personally. <laughs> so that wraps up the lowdown. Let's head on over to Second String where we talk all other tech. We are going to kick it off with Google Docs. For those of you who use the Google Docs suite of apps, it has um, they have an update coming that is apparently going to make it easier to use Google Docs. The biggest thing from this article on Tech Radar is that you'll be able to, as a user, locate tools and features easily. Um, meaning that they've shortened the, the menu for easier navigation. They basically reorged the items that are in those menus. So it may take a, may have a bit of a learning curve because it's different than what you're used to. And additionally, the icons will have a more prominent, you know, real estate space that allows the user for them to be able to quicker use this. I'm thinking probably more so since a lot of schools use Chromebook and they use the Google office suite of software for school. I think this is probably going to be geared more towards that um, as folks continue to use um, Chromebooks in schools. So it seems to be based on this article that um, it's supposed to be a huge shift and better for the user experience. I use Google Docs, you know, if I'm on there, but it's not my go-to. So um, I can't say for sure that this would have a large impact on me. But for those of you who do use Google Docs um, and the Google suite of apps frequently are, is your go-to. It seems like they have heard some of your complaints and that they have moved forward with making it easier for you as the user to use them. Uh, it may not even be complaints. It may just be Google is trying to put forth a product that is on par with Office. People have been using Office forever and a day, so they know where things are. Google Docs, Google Workspace, you know, Sheets and all the other products are new and they are pretty much blank slates, for lack of a better term. So people really don't get into the weeds of the functionality in Google uh, products as they would in Word or as they would specifically in Excel, right? 
uh, and maybe even um, uh, PowerPoint, right? Those are the three big properties for Office, uh, right? People really get funky <laughs> with those, right? Customizing them, you know, right? For right. Google products, it's just like a thing that people use. They really don't, you know, get down into actually customizing and, you know, at the same rate that they would with an Office product. So I think this is, to me, this sounds like Google is like, hey, let us make it easier for you to find all these cool things that you can actually do as opposed to just like, we need to put this somewhere, let's just put it here, but really don't utilize it, right? So I think they're trying mm -hmm. to you know, get people to actually utilize it more so they can say, this is actually comparable to Office. When now people are just, they know they, they use it, um, but they really don't compare it. I think Google wants to really compare itself to uh, Office. So they're trying to do this to make it easier for people to get more um, familiar with it and, and use it to more, you know, get more utility out of it. That's an interesting take and you're probably spot on. They want to be a go-to for your suite of productivity tools, especially since a lot of people use Gmail and they're already, or, you know, uh, Google Drive, they are already in there. So let's make use of it while you're already in there, rather than having to exit, do something in Word or whatever your other right. word processor or Excel because sheet deal is and move it into there. You can do everything within our quote unquote ecosystem. Right. Gmail is a good example. People get funky with Gmail. You know, they get in there and they do folders and they get real specific as to how their Gmail is set up. You know, so Google wants people to do the same thing in Google Docs and Google Sheets and uh, what other prop whatever other properties they have, you know, the same state form and fashion that people do in Word and Docs. <laughs> but they really don't care about Outlook all that. Well, no, I'll take it back. People get real specific in Outlook. Uh, but more so in general in Gmail and just because people have been using Gmail forever, you know, so they yeah. want to continue that with their other properties. For sure. Next up, similar to what we talked about last week regarding, um, regarding, uh, who was it? Facebook and the metaverse where they decided that they were going to up their cut uh, in, in revenue from being in the metaverse. Twitch, according to this report that I'm reading from PC Mag, has decided that it is, well, they're thinking, it says in the headline, Twitter considers cutting streamer revenue share from 70% to 50%. So whereas before you were getting 70% of the revenue from your content on Twitch, they want to now drop it down to about 50. Y'all are making too much money over there on Twitch and they are not here for it, it uh, seems. They wanna make sure that they are getting their fair share of all this money that they are seeing people make on their platform. So this could be some very, very bad news for Twitch streamers. Amazon, they don't have enough money. They don't mm -hmm. have enough resources. So now they're gonna come for that extra 20% that, uh, that you're making on your platform. And again, this is 
not confirmed, but according to Bloomberg, they cite a source, of course, familiar with the plans. Um, and there are a couple of things that are under consideration. The most, um, which is, like I said, what you receive as far as revenue for your channel subscriptions um, via the partnership program, taking that down from 70 to 50%. But they're also trying to decide where they want to give you uh, subscription tiers, similar maybe to the way Patreon does it. You can set different tiers. Um, but for streamers, a uh, specific criteria is going to be required to qualify for each of those. So in addition to a possible reduction in your revenue, they are going to put, you know, a little bit more shackle or, you know, bureaucracy, busy work um, in the way that you uh, handle these subscription tiers that they are thinking about introducing. So I, I have to say, um, I'm not a, a Twitch streamer. I have a Twitch. I go in there sometimes, but it seems to me that a lot of these um, companies that um, you know people are making content for and are receiving money for it's to the point where it seems to me where it's like one of those things where you're getting too big, you're making too much money. If you're making all this money, my cut should be larger now because you're doing so well because your content creation, what you're doing is popping off and has all this attention because not of the platform, but because of the content that you create. It seems as if they are saying, hmm, if you're doing this well, then that means we should get some more too. Um, yes. Uh, companies are always going to be profit first and any way they can find to squeeze profit uh, or squeeze um, cut costs to increase profit they're going to do so, right? So this is just one way of Amazon slash Twitch recognizing that people are making a lot of money. Uh, let's see if we can get into that as well. Conversely, though, uh, Twitch does say that if this comes true, they're considering the removal of exclusivity restrictions, which can currently stop streamers from using rival platforms such as YouTube. So uh, even though you you're getting less less revenue from Twitch. This does if this is true and it goes through, this can open you up to be able to use other platforms to make up that revenue, right? Um but with the added work of actually moving it over or right. you know, going in two um, places simultaneously. Right. Um ultimately I, I believe that content creators, I don't believe you should ever make a platform, make one platform your primary revenue stream. And what's the people that are going to complain about this, if this is true and it goes through, will be those first people getting started to like that level to where you're just getting to where you are becoming a brand yourself and you are relying on this revenue solely from Twitch as your main source of revenue. Now, once you get into I'm a brand in and of myself and I can do things that can generate income 
outside of Twitch, like working with brands, like um, hosting events, like um, offering exclusive content that's only for people if you do this, sign up for my newsletter, do other things outside of Twitch, right? The people who are who have made it to that level to where they're getting all these money from brand deals and sponsorships and events and exclusive content and Twitch revenue, they ain't tripping off of this little thing that much. But I think this should be a awakening, a wake-up call for any content creator, whether you are just using Instagram, whether you're just using TikTok, whether you are just using YouTube, or you're just using Twitch. Wake up and figure out how you can build your brand without hooking into and solely depending on just one company because they're going to do stuff like this and you're either going to complain about it and comply or you're going to say, hey, let me think about my overall brand and how I can get multiple streams of income. So when something like this happens, I won't be it won't be night and day how I get affected. Right. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely a wake up call. We've seen it um, from multiple platforms now. Done it multiple times. Instagram yeah. has done it. Facebook yeah. does it all the time. Yeah. And every time they do it, these brands, these businesses are like, oh, man. But if your sole source of making money was through Facebook, a free service, you're at the mercy of whatever they're doing versus you right. doing other things and saying, okay, well, let me, how can I make that up? You know, how, how does this really affect me versus like, oh, the world is going to end because it's their platform. It's not yours. You got to figure out how to make yours, yours. Right. And it's, it's the, the onus is on you as a content creator to make sure that regardless of what happens with any platform is that, you know, you aren't going to be so adversely um, affected that is going to ruin your business model. So take heed, like I said, we've seen multiple companies do it, especially recently. So it, to me, that sing signals that the tide is changing because there is a lot of money being made on these platforms. And trust me, these platforms see it and they are coming for their share, whether uh, you like it or not. And just imagine if more content creators had more control over their content to where platforms did this and content creators in mass said, ah, well, all right, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. We going over here. Amazon mm -hmm. and Twitch would be like, hey, hey, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Because we, were, we just say we were considering it now. We didn't say we was going to do it. Because Twitch, <laughs> Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snap, none of these platforms create content. All the content is created by the users. So they you just, just need it. to figure out how to use that leverage. And a lot of a lot of a lot of these people, you know, they're just like, oh, people are making money on Twitch. Let me go ahead and just comply just so I can make money. And that's okay right. just starting up. But if you, you know, three, four years in the game, you know got millions of followers. <laughs> You need to be figuring out how to how to leverage that outside of these platforms because if not, and they do something like this, you're screwed. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, step your game up, content creators. Have a strategy because this thing can change at the drop 
of a dime. You're at the whim of some huge conglomerate that's all about the bottom line. Last up in second string, the president of the United States wants to give state and local police access to drone tracking tech. Now, what could possibly, I mean, possibly go wrong with this scenario? So it seems that the Biden administration has called on Congress to help them to get um, law enforcement more involved in drone tracking systems. If you will remember back during the State of the Union at the beginning of the year, the president did say that we have to put more money into a law enforcement. And I think this is one of the thing, one of those things that kind of tie into that just on the more tech side of things. So we all know what drones are. You have them for your personal use. Companies use them to drop packages off. Drones are out there. They aren't going anywhere. If anything, they are going to be an increasingly bigger part of our our society. So it sounds like it's going to make its way into public safety and into law enforcement. So the White House has a plan called Domestic Counter Unmanned Aircraft Systems National Action Plan. Whew, that's a mouthful. And it basically um, calls for Congress to reauthorize the authority to track drones given um, to organizations like Homeland, Se Homeland Security, Justice Department, Defense Department, and the State Department. Um, so it's one of those things where more power seems to be, um, heading to not only the federal level, but also now is coming down to the state and local, um, authority, uh, public safety figures as well. So it looks like this, what is this federal type of, uh, engagement with drones is now being, proactively um, uh, moved forward by the president for many of the state and local um, agencies as well. So um, basically the plan at this point uh, calls for a trial program for, of course, a select number of uh, state, local, and it also makes sure to point out tribal communities as well, because we do have a large indigenous population. And um, it's coming under the heading of infrastructure um, to ensure that these drones are being used at these, you know, I won't say smaller, but non-federal um you know, agencies as well, because, you know, the federal government, they pretty much make the rules and they pretty much kind of can, you know, run things as, as they see fit. Um, so I guess my question is how bad of an idea do you think this is? Or do you think this is a bad idea? <laughs> um, so the way it sounds initially is it sounds like government organizations have been getting drones however they want to get them. They reach mm -hmm. out to the manufacturers themselves. They get, you know, one government organization will get them from DGI, another organization will get them from whatever other <laughs> uh, competitors companies. are to DJI. I don't know of any, but I'm pretty sure 
it's the wild, wild west, number one, at the top. It's the wild, wild west as to how government agencies are getting and using drones. So it sounds like uh, the government wants to consolidate that and say, hey, we're going to put together a plan to where no matter what government organization you are, this is the process for you to purchase, use, and operate uh, drones, right? That's the first one. The second part of it is like, all right, we need to make it easier for people, meaning you, regular people who are getting and operating drones to identify who those people are. You know, it's almost like a preemptive strike uh, for people who are want to use drones for nefarious reasons. If you want to do it, that's fine. But we're going to be able to know exactly who you are, when you bought it, how you bought it you know, and even your location while you're actually using the drone. Because it's one thing for the government to know the location based on GPS or whatever of the actual drone. is another thing to know me sitting here using it. They want to know where I'm at too, right? Because for whatever reason, I'm pretty sure they're thinking worst case scenario, flying a drone into a building, into some infrastructure, whatever the case may be, that's fine. You know, they want to figure out how to make it easier for us to track, you know, do some history and reverse find out what's going on right which is fair it's fair my problem is <laughs> this is what y'all decide to take y'all time and focus on we got all these other things going on we got covid we got you know inflation housing the word on the street housing market is about the crash infrastructure biden with his build back better infrastructure plan ain't working uh, we talked about these things in the in the live show, um, you know, uh, civil rights, voter suppression. You know, we've got government, you know, whatever CRT is, wherever you want to, whatever your you side of it, that's an issue. It's like all, all these things. And I know the government can walk and chew gum at the same time. Right. But it just sounds like, you know, they're this seems like it's low on the totem pole right now of things that need to be pushed through versus some of the other more important things going we got Russia and Ukraine, which some of this kind of uh not was necessarily sparked. It's related. But it's it's related, right? Because um um China, which is the maker of the deep popular, the uber uber popular DJI drones that everybody uses, uh Ukrainian government said, hey, uh China, do us a solid and stop giving these drones to Russia because Russia's using them in their war against us, right? I don't know exactly how they're using them. So, you know, I'm thinking maybe the government, our government, United States government is taking off of that. And it's like, hey, we don't want them kind of problems. So let's go okay. ahead and do these things right now. So we ain't got to worry about that later. Fair. Again, that's fair. We got all these other things <laughs> that y'all could be like putting forth more effort. But it seems like all we're getting is pillow talk, right? You know, yeah. uh, we talked about it in the live in the live show. Student loan debt. Biden is like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> but with this thing, with the, Let's this, talk this, about this, it. This, this, you know, but with student loans, it's like, yeah, sure. That sounds let me talk to get back. Let my people call your people. and <laughs> Let's have lunch. Right. Right. Because it sounds like, like they know how to. When they want to get something pushed through, they right. know the proper procedure. Because right. additionally, from this article that we're reading from The Verge, they have all these new rules and they take effect in September. Right. So it's one of those things where if you want to get something done 
Right. You actually can't. Right. It's we've just all, we've how all much gave, you want to get it done. Right. And we've all gave the government grief for not keeping up with technology. And technology has always been a step ahead of the government. So government's like, aha, we're trying to catch up. You got one. You yeah. know, but it's like drones, that's the, that's the technology. We got, we got uh, um, deep fakes, you know, stuff like that. Technology is taking off. We got um, um, biometrics. Companies Face are using rec- biometrics. Rec- yeah. Again, all these things, you know, and it's like, all right, focus on those things that are more important that are actually in use now. Versus, How about you beef up the cybersecurity so we don't get hacked? Right, right. <laughs> Cyber warfare happening to where yeah. big, you know, uh, whole regions of powers getting affected by hackers. Focus on that Taking stuff. the gas pipeline down. Exactly. Sweet. But you worried about me in my backyard flying a drone over somebody's private property. That's that's what we focused yeah. on right now. <laughs> and. And when they put it under the guise of law enforcement and public safety, and as soon as you mention law enforcement or homeland security or police, it's like, we have to do this. We have to give them, you know, this thing, whether it's really high on the priorities of things, when you shrouded in that type of, of language, then people, of course, yes, let's get on board. We got to do this because we got to give the police and law enforcement and all of these federal um, agencies, FBI, CIA, NSA, we have to give them all these tools to protect us and keep us safe when at the end of the day, you're just making rules and regulations so that I don't fly my drone into my neighbor's yard. Right, right. Which again, like so, yeah. I said, ain't nobody really Important, doing like but in the scale of things, it's pretty low on the list. Yeah, it's important. Again, like I said, we want government to stay ahead of technology. You know, we want, we don't want drone usage to go from just this personal pleasure to where people are actually weaponizing these things. Cause you know, we've seen movies <laughs> to where people are using drones as weapons. Right. So we don't want that, you know, but at the same time, that's way down the line. We got these other things in front of us right now. <laughs> exactly. So that wraps up second string. Let's head on over to for the culture where we talk about things that are culturally relevant to us. And this week, that is over on Twitter. So we did a rundown on the sale and the possible implications of Twitter being sold um, to Elon Musk, who plans to take the company private. Um, If you were a Patreon supporter, you could have gotten in on that conversation. You could still do that by heading over to patreon.com slash novelwestcast. So we're not going to rehash all of that here, but there is one question that I have for you, Brother Tech. With the offer made and accepted by the Twitter board from Elon Musk of the purchasing the social media platform for $44 billion in cash, are you staying or are you going? Um, the short answer is no, I'm not going anywhere. Um, but that's personal uh, based on my usage of Twitter, right? I'm not a content creator like that who utilizes Twitter as a main way of creating content or um, or uh, communicating with my you know user base or community, right? We as a show use Twitter to promote and to share content 
uh, but we also do that in other places. So, you know, our, you know, if we were to look at our quote unquote numbers, <laughs> which we probably need to do, <laughs> but if we were to look at our numbers, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be 90% Twitter, you know, so all that to say, and personally, I don't use Twitter like that, right? So I can say, I can comfortably say Twitter is not my main source of content creation or community engagement, right? So that crosses that off the list, right? Um, I don't pay to use Twitter. I don't use, I don't subscribe to the Twitter blue, so I'm not um, getting any additional features that I would be uh, concerned about if I were trying to leave Twitter and go to another platform. Uh, so I rec I personally recognize Twitter is a free tool. So um, my input or my influence as to how I feel Twitter should be now and going forward, if and in fact Elon does uh, take control of Twitter, um, is small <laughs> to zero because I pay zero for Twitter, right? So you know, again, my uh, I don't look at my influences enough to be that much important for me to feel like, you know, this is a product or a service that if it changes, you know, my opinion of it will be different. Right. Um, like I said, ultimately, you know, having said that, I'll probably stay. It'll be interesting to see uh, if there's some major shift. Now, I will say. Uh, having said all that, um, I can recognize that the community is what makes Twitter, and there is a large community, specifically, we'll use uh, Black Twitter for as an example, right? That is a thing in of itself, and Elon Musk taking over Twitter, he, at his other companies, have had some issues as it relates to race. Uh, for instance, you know, there are black Tesla employees who are currently suing or have successfully sued t Tesla for some of its racial discrimination practices, right? So it's not a leap, it's not a stretch to say that possibly Elon Musk taking Twitter private you could make the correlation that some of those, um, the people will feel, people who use Twitter, specifically black folks, would feel like that space is not a space that feels safe to them, right? So that community may feel not safe, not respected and decide to leave. And honestly, you know, uh, self-serving, I would like to see a community, a platform where different cultures, different societies, different backgrounds, different communities can feel safe. So for example, if black Twitter doesn't feel safe, uh, being on Twitter because of the owner and his previous racial discrimination practices, it'd be dope to see something else spawn out of this, right? for just compensate competition sake for free market safe because that's what america is right if that's the case then people should feel free and be okay with somebody a group saying i don't like twitter because of the owner 
we're going to do our own thing. And this thing turns into something beautiful. Right. I would want to see that happen. So if that were the case, then sure, I would be interested in leaving and going to another platform if that is how that community feels, because I'm a part of that community. But other than that, uh, I don't I'm not leaving um, because it's not that important. And again, like we mentioned in the live show. I don't think Twitter's uh, ethos will change that much, even if Elon does take control. So I'm not leaving. So I am staying for now. When this was first announced, I did start to look for other alternatives. And let me tell you, they are sparse and not much better. So let me uh, ask you, uh, before you go further, uh, I mm -hmm. didn't mean to cut you off, but I did mean to cut you off. You did. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that because the the competition, right? Is that because there is no platform that works exactly how Twitter works? Or there's no platform that gives you the overall feel of what a Twitter is? If you can recognize the difference. Yeah. So on the one platform that I did look at, um, the way it's formatted, it gives you the look and feel of a Twitter. They handle things in like these columns or something like that. But overall, basically it's it's a chat type of, you know, micro blogging type of, of thing. So as far as what the sites actually do, that's pretty much the same at the bare bones. Okay. Um, I think primarily what the difference is, again, Twitter has been around for a minute and it's the community that you build on Twitter. So you can go to these other platforms, you can microblog, you can probably find other communities but again, Twitter's like the OG, so that's where so the bulk of your interaction is right, and it's it's the feeling of community because there are people on Twitter. I probably wouldn't know them if I saw them, but we're friends on Twitter. We interact. It's one of those things where it's it's they're Twitter friends, and you feel you build that familiarity with them. You build that. Um, I'll, I'll even say comfort level with them as much as you can be comfortable with a stranger on a social media app. But it's just saying the community that you build, you know, like you said, black Twitter, when something pops off in black Twitter, if you're in black Twitter, you know it immediately. Oop, yep. That's us. Or, you know, I'm also in the black tech Twitter community. So when stuff starts popping off with the black tech folks, He's like, oh, here they go again. It's one of those things where you know kind of where your people are. And again, you know, people talk about black Twitter, but there's, you know, white Twitter, there's Asian Twitter. People there's finance go, Twitter, there's sports right, Twitter, there's, there's a, there's Twitter, a right. group, there's a community for everybody. And if you are, you know, intersectional where you cross over into different, you know, communities, which most people do because we are multidimensional people, but at the core, you still kind of know where your groups are and where people are grouped together. So I say that when I went to kind and find something else, I, you know, didn't get that feel. And it may be because it's still relatively new. People haven't really migrated. People are still kind of holding the course for Twitter 
Because again, like we mentioned in the live show, we don't know how long this thing is going to take. And for now, things are the same. So I think a lot of people, there are some people who left in anticipation and you can prepare for that. Like I prepared for an exit. I downloaded, you know, my I, my archive data, you know, that same day because I it's, it's the uncertainty. And when you're dealing with someone like Elon Musk, you have no idea what he plans to do. He's, you know, egotistical, he's arrogant, he's very off the cuff, those type of things. So you don't know what's going to happen or the influence that he already has. Because again, he's offering up 44 billion in cash and the people at the top are primed to make a huge cash out. Who's Which to say is why they, they accepted the offer. Uh, right. not, to get, not to sidetrack you, but again, a lot of people are upset or Um, they feel a certain way about Elon Musk taking over Twitter. But my question is, or my challenge would be, why was he able to do it? And why is there no equal focus on that reason, right? And that reason being Twitter, as much of a community is, ain't all that profitable. Twitter is a business. I don't care what you say. Ultimately, Twitter is a business. The people at the top, i.e. the board and the primary shareholders who own the majority of the stock, they look at this as a business transaction. And a lot of people are putting their focus on Elon. And I personally believe that more of the focus should be on the board we need to identify who these people are, who's the board, who's the primary shareholders, and be like, why are you giving up our community to this dude? And we don't know what he's about. I mean, we know what he's about, but we don't know what direction it's going to go, what the future holds, all this uncertainty, all these things. Why aren't we equally as mad as them? Because they are literally handing it over to this dude, right? But so, we know the why. It's money because Jack right. is... Jack is about to make a billion dollars. I think it was like seven hundred nine hundred and seventy-two million. So we know the why for the people at the top is cold, cold, hard cash. People, meaning the end users, we're thinking about this from the heart aspect, from the social Quit aspect. They are it. thinking from the head aspect, meaning how am I going to make this money? Because right. what's important is me making this money. Because the CEO, I think they said his payout is going to be forty-two million. Run me my 42 mil, y'all ain't ever gonna hear from me again. Cause right. I exactly. you don't have to. I'm I'm set. I'm good. Y'all the ones, unfortunately, are out here in God knows what type of state. And I think that's I think that's really the heart of this whole thing is it's the uncertainty. The uncertainty for the end users, the uncertainty for the advertisers, because businesses, these companies, these you know, your Pepsis, your Cokes, your Delt, all of these companies, they have whole teams dedicated solely to Twitter. You have something, something, somebody in Uber, you lost, you left your, your phone in the Uber. You can tweet the Uber support. Bam. They found who your person is go pick up your phone at X, Y, Z. So it's whole company cultures that have whole large organizations with their company that their only thing to do is to look at Twitter and to work through things on Twitter, whether it be advertising, whether it be, you know, shading people, whether it be getting business, all of that. Mm -hmm. 
all of that. So I think the uncertainty from the business aspect, the uncertainty from the, um, the personal, the user aspect is the uncertainty while the business folks they aren't uncertain about anything and they right. really don't care because they know they're my, about to get this money. Which is my ultimate how people should, end users, people like you and me, should feel about Twitter as well. This is a business that's looking to turn a profit however they can. And for us sitting on Twitter upset that about this uncertainty, it's like, I get it. I get it. Because you've built, like you mentioned, you've made friends, you've created, you've done networking, you've probably changed companies based on Twitter. You probably found the love of your life on Twitter, right? Mm. So for all that, I get it. But at the same time, like, again, my original statement was Twitter's free. Now, if Twitter costs, if it costs us $15 a month to create communities and to find loved ones and to find your network and then that'd be a different story because now you got skin in the game. We ain't got skin in the game because Twitter is free. So it's like, y'all need to start looking at this as a business transaction. (laughs) Right. Right. So uh, let us know if you are staying or if you are going. Hit us up on Twitter. (laughs) Hit us up uh, in our Discord as well for your thoughts on whether you're staying or whether you're going to ditch Twitter. That's it for For the Culture. We're going to head on over to The Hookup where we get our tech tip of the week. Uh, Really no tech tip, nothing new, nothing, you know, I didn't discover anything new or um, find any new feature or anything like that. Um, I would, however, encourage you to utilize the scan to text feature in iOS and I think it's even in Mac. Uh, more. I'm using it all the time now. Like for instance, perfect example, just to, just yesterday, um, I had a neighbor uh, cutting down a tree and I've got some trees that I want to uh, get cut down as well. So while the big shredder chipper thing was parked in the area, I put up my phone, took a picture of the side of the, the truck that had the business information And I was like, all right, well, eventually I'm going to write it down or save it in my contacts. So I actually actually call the company and get a, you know, somebody come out and do an estimate. Well, with the scan the text feature, I didn't have to write nothing down. I didn't have to save it to my contacts. I pressed the little scan to text, um, scan text button. And it actually analyzed all the uh, words, the letters on the side of the truck recognized phone numbers, recognized websites, and recognized the email address that was on the side just by taking a picture. And I was able to tap the phone number and call them right from the picture. So that's my tech tip. If you're not using the scan a text uh, feature, whether it be you're taking a picture or you are on a website, um, you can actually, if you're on a website, Uh, and you see a picture on the website or just see wording or like if you're in the world, like for instance, I'll give you another example. Um, If you go to a restaurant and they have like a little um, menu or they have, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, they have a phone number or whatever. You can actually hold your phone up 
and it'll recognize phone numbers, websites, email addresses, and make those interoperable to where you can actually tap the buttons and actually make a phone call. So if you're not using scan to text, that's my tip for the week. Definitely for if you have an iPhone, I think it even works for Mac as well. If you uh, do a screenshot of something, you can use the scan to text feature, um, scan, not scan to text, scan text feature and actually recognize um, information that you can actually action on, like phone number, email address, website, address. Like if you need to get an address from something, you can. it'll recognize an address. You can press the button. It'll open up Apple Maps and give you directions. So that's my hookup for the week. Uh, definitely use the built-in scan text feature more in iOS and macOS. Yeah, it uses OCR tech, and um, yeah, I've worked with it. it. I've done some development and some uh, uh, testing with it before, and it definitely comes in clutch. That wraps up the show for this week. Brother Tech, where are you in the news this week? Um, Actually, this Friday, I should be on uh, DTNS Daily Tech News Show, so if you follow DTNS, uh, be sure to check out the show on Friday. I'll be guest hosting over there and we'll make sure to um, either from my account or from SnobOS, I'll make sure to remind people to let people know to uh, listen out on Friday. Uh, you should hear a familiar voice. Cool. I too will be on Daily Tech News Show, but I will be on there on Tuesday chatting it up with those folks. And as usual, you can find me over on Twitter and pretty much all the social media sites at Tech Savvy Diva. And where can they find you, Brother Tech, to follow? They can find me, Brother Tech. Uh, B-R-O-T-H-A-T-E-C-H. Cool. So to connect with us uh, individually or as a show, um, to comment on anything that we've discussed on the show, or to share and support the show, you can head on over to snobwestcast.com to get all the details on how to do that. Thanks for kicking it with us today. And that's it for the show this week. We will see you all next week. Have a good one. Peace. Bye, everybody. Bye.